All right. We are going through a, a, a super appropriate passage in the scripture on Wednesday nights, considering the days in which we live. Matthew chapter 24. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter 24. We're really speeding up tonight. We're going to go through one and a half verses tonight. Verse 6 and the first part of verse 7, Matthew chapter 24. Father, as we turn our attention now to your word, I pray that you would bless our time together. Encourage your people greatly in these very difficult days that you are in charge. And for those of us who belong to you, we are safe, absolutely safe in your loving care. Lord, we pray for family and friends that are not safe right now. Pray for anyone here this evening who is not secure in a relationship with you tonight. I pray that that would definitely happen this evening. Lord, give us wisdom and discernment as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do we know if we are living in the last days? How do we know if we're living at the end of the world? If we're living in those very days that are leading up to the rapture of the church, the tribulation period, and the kingdom of the Antichrist, and the battle of Armageddon, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, if you wonder, you've come to the right chapter in Matthew chapter 24, because that's what it's all about. In fact, in this chapter, Jesus gives us very clear signs that indicate whether or not we're living in the last days. And we're going through each of these signs very carefully and much detail, deliberately, here on Wednesday nights. Last week, Jesus said, in the last days, there will be massive deception, massive spiritual deception on planet Earth, and many alternate Christs, false Christs, antichrists that will be on the scene. Lots of people will be deceived in the last days. Let's look at our second sign as we continue. Look at verse 6. Jesus said, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So, sign number two that we're living in the last days, according to Jesus, is wars and rumors of wars. Now, let's look very carefully at what Jesus said. He said, you will hear of wars, plural. So, not just a war, lots of wars, He also said in the last day, you will hear of rumors 
of wars. So there'll be a lot of widespread confusion about war in the last days. There will be a lot of false flags, false threats, a lot of hearsay, a lot of confusion about whether there really is a war in some particular part of the world or not. So there's going to be a lot of rumors. He goes on to say in verse 7, nation will rise against nation. Real important to understand, the Greek word is ethnos here. And it's literally where we get our word ethnic, ethnicity from in the English. So Jesus said in the last days, literally, ethnic groups against ethnic groups. Which I think is one of the most despicable type of conflicts. Ethnic genocide, ethnic cleansing, so many terrible things like that. And then when he says kingdom against kingdom, that would speak more of a nation or a government, nations against nations, states against states. So all of that will be happening in the last days. And it'll be very troubling. Jesus says, see that you're not troubled. He's speaking to his people. For these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Trouble is a word in the Greek that speaks of the cry or the noise of a tumultuous crowd that's terrified. Planet Earth crying out in terror. So Jesus said, you know you're in the last days when you see that. So, are we living in the last days based on this sign? Well, it's not war in general that's the sign. It's not the existence of war. There's always been war. Unfortunately, in a fallen world, uh, humanity has been characterized by war. There's been war in every generation. Plato said, only the dead have seen the end of war. Arthur Kessler said, the most persistent sound which reverberates through man's history is the beating of war drums. So yes, war is normal. In fact, some studies have been done, you know, analyzing war over history. According to one study, since 36 100 BC, the world has known only 292 years of peace. During this period, there have been, according to their analysis, 14,531 wars, large and small, in which right around 3.7 billion people have died. Another analysis in the time period beginning. 1496 BC to 1861 AD, there were 13 years of war to every one year of peace. There's always been war. It's been a part of every generation. From 1480 to 1941, many nations experienced wars as follows. Great Britain, 78 wars. France, 71. Spain, 64. 
Russia 61, Austria 52, Germany 23, China 11, Japan 9, the United States 13. Wars always rage. Wars raging right now. Ukraine and Russia. Israel, Hamas. All over the globe. Ethnic groups against ethnic groups. Power struggles. I think of even the cartel wars that are taking place in Mexico. War has been a consistent part of the fallen human race. And the death tolls are staggering. World War II was the deadliest military conflict in history. 60 million people died. Well over one million Americans wounded or killed in battle. You know which battle gave us our most casualties in American history? Civil War. 623,000 casualties. In 1994, there was the Rwanda Rebellion. 800,000 Tutsis were killed in 100 Days by the Hutus, and that was ethnic cleansing. In the 1970s, there was the killing fields of Cambodia. Again, more ethnic cleansing. 1.7 to 2.5 million people were killed. Of course, Adolf Hitler killed 12 million people, exterminated them, 6 million of them being Jews. Mao Zedong killed somewhere between 47 and 78 million people. Joseph Stalin killed 23 million people. Just absolutely horrific. War has been the norm. And here we see it in our day. To think of uh, 1,500 terrorists coming out of Gaza and slaughtering 1,400 civilians. Babies, women, children, grandmas, grandpas. And the stories that come out are just absolutely horrific. So yeah, it's not the existence of war that's the sign. Because there's always been war. So how do we know if we're living in the last days? Well, there's a couple things I want you to notice In verse 6, Jesus says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, in the original Greek, there's a constancy to that idea. So in Greek, it would say, you will constantly be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. It will be a constant thing. In the last days... The subject of war and rumors of war will dominate public discourse. Now, people have always talked about war, but now with technology, wars and rumors of wars can be reported on. Do you realize that the radio uh, was uh, invented just 125 years ago? First TV set 100 years ago. So for a lot of time in modern history that we didn't have the mass media, but of course now we do. We have more news programs than we know what to do with, don't we? 24-7 news coverage, live coverage, 
And so you're constantly hearing of wars. Wars all over the place. Wars breaking up over here. And you even get to see them live. I remember in, in, uh, what was it, 91 or 92, watching the Persian Gulf live, war live. I remember watching the second plane fly into the Twin Tower live. And the horror of all that. And the whole world seeing it. Through all this mass media, we also have a lot of potential for rumors. Conspiracy theories. A lot of uh, confusion concerning wars. And then in the age of the internet. Where people have their... Their chat groups and they have their, you know, conspiracy theories that they're learning about from some YouTube channel and all of these different things that are happening. Wars, rumors of wars. And by the way, on the internet and with technology now, you can fake video, you can fake images, you can fake news stories. Put it out there on your social media feed and everybody will think it's news. This is a picture that has shown up on some websites. It's a baby crying, crawling through the rubble in Gaza. Actually wrong. That's not a real photograph. It was generated by AI. Artificial intelligence created that image. In fact, it was circulated for the last six months, even before all this began. So you got a lot of things in this day and age where you're hearing about wars and rumors of wars and all of these different things through mass media. And then remember this very important verse that applies to every sign that we're going to study in Matthew 24. Jesus said, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Remember, those are birth pangs. Those are labor pains. And again, when a woman is going into contraction, um, the, the contractions are further apart and less intense. But the closer you get to birth, what happens? They become more frequent and more intense. And so in the last days, you'll see these things become more frequent, more often, and more intense. And we live in a day and age where there's lots of wars, and we also live in a day and age where war is more deadly than it has ever been in human history. The potential for death. These are recent. This is January 2023 statistics. There are 12,512 warheads in the world. Did you know that? Russia has about 5,900 nuclear weapons. And some of them, they house over here in Belarus. They don't know how many. America has 52, 24 warheads in Italy, some of these other places, Germany, Netherlands, Belgium. Um, I think it says Turkey hosts some of those. China has 410. France has 290. United Kingdom, 225. 
Pakistan has 170. That doesn't give me a warm fuzzy. India has 164. 90 belong to Israel. North Korea has 30. Gang, the United States of America has enough nuclear power to destroy the entire planet 10 times over. One nuclear weapon detonated over New York City would cause 583,160 estimated fatalities like that. The potential for the deadliness of war has gotten much stronger. And delivery systems. Listen to this. One submarine can loose in 16 minutes more explosive force than all the bombs and ammunition exploded by all the nations in the six years of World War II. 16 minutes. Only minutes, 15 to 30 minutes at the most of warning will be given if the first thrust of an attack is launched from any land-based missile site in the world. If the attack should start from nuclear subs or from fractional orbital missiles, there will be zero warning. The world is at the crossroads and the destiny of every nation and of every person is literally one push button away. That's the world in which we live. Everything can go kaboom. Jesus said in the last days there will be widespread wars. Which would lead to massive casualties. Albert Einstein. I love him. In his day he said, I know not with what weapons World War III will be fought. But World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. Why? Because there'll be nothing left on planet Earth. We have the potential to blow ourselves into the Stone Age. So the book of Revelation uh, speaks of war during the tribulation period. And we get these types of prophecies. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death. Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. If you take all the statistics in the book of Revelation, literally, in the tribulation period, period, almost half the entire population of planet earth dies. And much of that by war and the ravages of war. So, 
I do believe that we are living in the last days because we see massive spiritual deception. And I do believe that we are living in the last days because of these wars and rumors of wars. How quickly now they can spread, how much confusion, how widespread it is, and how absolutely destructive they can be. All right. I want to, tonight, mention very briefly four specific wars that are associated with last day events in the Bible. Now, these are based on specific prophecies in Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, prophecies about these wars in which we can find no fulfillment of them in history. So they're still future. So let me mention uh, the first one. And the first war I'm going to call the absolute destruction of Damascus as prophesied in Isaiah chapter 17. How many of you heard of Damascus? You know where Damascus is? What country is Damascus in? It's the capital of Syria. Right next to Israel. Damascus is 37 miles from the border of Israel. Damascus is 135 miles from the city of Jerusalem. It's the capital city, as, as we just said, of Serbia. It's, it's considered to be one of the oldest cities on planet Earth. There's kind of a picture of it. There are two million plus people living in Damascus today. And of course, they're not friendly towards Israel, are they? Isaiah chapter 17 says, The burden against Damascus, behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. Now that is a very clear prophecy in the scripture, and it's final. The idea is Damascus one day will never be a city again. Now it was a big city in ancient times. The Assyrians destroyed Damascus when they destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. But Damascus has been rebuilt. And it's been destroyed several times in exchanges of power throughout history. But it has been rebuilt. This prophecy says that one day it will cease to exist. So that hasn't happened yet. That's future. Now, remember your map. Israel's in this conflict with Gaza down south. There's also Lebanon to the north and Syria to the north. And there's experiencing some issues with them right now. If that thing heats up, and that's what the whole world is worried about. If that heats up from the north... Israel has already said they're going to bomb Lebanon into the Stone Age. I mean, gone. Right next to them is Syria and Damascus. And it is not hard to envision a large military presence in Damascus amassing against Israel in a conflict just like that. And being a part of that northern influx into the land. 
And it could be absolutely destroyed at a time like that. Folks, keep an eye on Damascus. Keep an eye on that. Now, where would this war take place? I want to put this chart up. This is a timeline of the end times, the way I believe the Bible teaches it. Right now, we're in the church age. The next event, as far as prophecy, is the rapture of the church. That will kick off seven years of tribulation. This is when the Antichrist takes over and all of these horrific things and wars will take place, all this judgment. Then there's going to be the return of Jesus Christ at the Battle of Armageddon. He'll wipe out everything and he'll set up his millennial reign. This is how I believe the Bible teaches things are going to end up. So when's this destruction of Damascus? Well, it can happen at any time. Some say it it can happen before the rapture. Or it could happen in one of these wars within the tribulation period. But... It's going to happen, and it could happen any time. So the destruction of Damascus. Now let's talk about another war, and this one's called the Battle of Gog and Magog. Now this is a very complicated war, and I have gone into great detail on this war in the past in previous Bible studies. So if you want to go back and and check that out, there's a lot more detail. But tonight I'm just going to summarize it. You find it all in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Ezekiel 38 verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog. The prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog. The prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Gog. It's not a first name. It's like, hi, Gog. Gog is an official title, like a pharaoh. So this is speaking an official ruler of Magog, which includes Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Ancient lands, all of that points to Russia. So the leader of Russia, he makes an alliance. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togermar, From the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. So Russia comes into an alliance with another group of uh, nations. Persia. Who's that? That's Iran. In fact, that place has been called Persia all the way up to 1935. It's always been known as Persia. But now it's Iran. An alliance between Russia and Iran? Never heard of. In history, until recently, there's a relationship between Russia and Iran involving the exchange of nuclear information. Ethiopia, that's uh, Eastern Africa, into Egypt, Libya, Northern Africa, Gomer's Eastern Europe, Togermar, Turkey. So an alliance of these nations 
They come together. And the prediction goes that they will attack Israel. You will ascend coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. You will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land. And so once again, this scenario playing out. Iran coming from this way, Russia from this way, Turkey from right here, Gomer, East Europe from right here, Libya from right here, Ethiopia from right there. All these nations in alliance together attacking the nation of Israel. Now we understand why most all of these people want to attack Israel because they're, uh, they're anti-Semite and they want to wipe Israel off the map. Why would Russia make this alliance? Well, if you look into the details of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39... There's some kind of a resource, there's wealth that Russia is after. So that could be a a new source of oil, a new source of natural grass, whatever that might be. So Israel will be in a devastating place. All these nations attacking them. God will protect Israel. It will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God... That my fury will show in my face, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. So all this is happening. It's getting right ready for the battle. God is going to drop an earthquake right there in the area. It's going to shake things up. You look more into the details of this chapter. This earthquake is massive, impacts the whole world, even their mother countries. Not just the Middle Eastern area. I will call for a sword against God throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. So there's going to be the fog of war, massive confusion among these alliances, killing each other. I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. Check this out. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him. Flooding rain... Great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Whoa. Divine intervention in extremely apocalyptic terms. It goes on to say, you shall fall upon the mountains of Israel... You and all your troops and the peoples who are with you, I will give you to birds of prey of every sort, to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. And, check this out, I will also send fire on Magog and those who live in security in the coastlands. So that alliance of nations that comes together is going to be completely destroyed Lots of dead bodies in the land. And Magog. Russia. Some think Moscow. Will have fire rain down on it. 
Some who live in the security of the coastlands will have fire. We're talking, this is a worldwide event that will impact many, many people, many nations, and lots of destruction. A couple more details on this prophecy. Check this out. Lots of people dead in the land. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins and the spears, and they will make fires with them for how long? Seven years. Does that time period... What's seven years? What's also seven years long? The tribulation period. So in the context of this war, their weaponry will be abandoned... Israel will be able to make use of their weaponry, and the idea is they will have fuel for seven years or something like that. They'll be able to make use of all the weaponry that's left. And then check this out. They will set apart men regularly employed. These are people that are employed for this specific reason. With the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make sir. So nobody's going to go near this place for seven months. I wonder why. And then when they do, they make a search. The search party will pass through the land, and when anyone sees a man's bone, he shall set up a marker by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman. God. Now that is the most amazing prophecy. And you know what it sounds exactly like to me? A nuke. I mean, you got radioactive material, you stay clear of it for seven months, and then you have to carefully bury everyone, making sure things are cleansed. I mean, you got people employed to do that. I see the people in hazmats going through the land. Ezekiel, thousands and thousands of years ago, saw this. So I think there will be a humongous conflict at that time, the war of Gog and Magog. God will fight for his people. So here we are on our timeline. Where does the war of Gog and Magog fall? Well, it could happen before the rapture. It could happen. And it could be happening in line with the destruction of Damascus, right? Right now, in the current conflict, Russia, Iran, and Turkey are pro-Palestinian. Many Bible scholars point out that when the tribulation period comes on the scene and the Antichrist comes on the scene, he starts by bringing peace to the world. Like here comes this incredible leader who brings all this peace to the world. Maybe he brings peace from all that. Solves the Middle East. So Gog and Magog can happen here. Um, Some think it might even will happen at the rapture. 
Now, that'd be interesting. You got this war, war basically happening, and then all these people disappear. There's also thoughts, just to be completely uh, complete, that it is something that happens here within the tribulation period. And the idea of burning that fuel for seven years has no problem with entering into the millennial kingdom in any way, shape, or form. They can still do that. But it's very possible right here. So Gog and Magog. A third war. The destruction of Babylon. And that is found in Revelation chapter 18. And I'm just going to show you what John saw. In, in Revelation 18, this angel comes out of heaven, and this angel makes this statement. He cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And it has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. That's all demonic imagery. All the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of luxury. So the book of Revelation seems to indicate that there's going to be a city that they call Babylon. That will sort of be like the commercial center of planet earth. So we know when the Antichrist comes on the scene, there'll be a one-world economy and the mark of the beast and all of that. The Antichrist will be in control. That huge capitalistic engine will have a headquarters. And that headquarters will be Babylon. All the merchants of the earth will be tied to it. All the kings of the earth will be tied to it. There'll be great luxury and wealth in being tied to it. So now the big uh, question is, what city is that? Well, I think it's going to be Anthony, New Mexico. No, I'm just kidding. It won't be. (laughs) Although Anthony, even little villages like Anthony, New Mexico will be impacted. Everyone will be tied to this merchant center. So New York City has been suggested. A place in Belgium. Um, Los Angeles. Rome. A lot of people think it will be Rome because uh, the Antichrist will become the leader of a revived Roman Empire. And it's going to be somewhere in Rome. We don't know for sure. If you're a literalist, some literalists of the Bible literally believe that there will be a brand new Babylon constructed. Right now, Babylon is a pile of ruins in Iraq. But there are some that believe that city is going to be rebuilt. Saddam Hussein, when he was alive, wanted to rebuild Babylon. But that hasn't happened. So a lot of folks think it will be a literal new city of Babylon. So some Bible scholars talk a lot about two very important building projects in the last day. The building of Babylon and the building of a new temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Possible. 
we don't know. It'll be a city connected with all of that economic activity. And here we find out that it will be completely destroyed. It will fall. It'll become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean bird. It goes on to tell us how it will happen. Revelation 18, verse 8, Therefore her plagues, speaking of Babylon, will come in how many days? One day. Death and mourning and famine. She will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Not just one day. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city of Babylon, the mighty city, in one hour. Your judgment has come. In one hour, on one day, perhaps the greatest city on planet Earth at that time is gone by divine judgment. It goes on to say, in, in, you know, as it says in verse 9, all the kings of the Earth, they weep, they lament everybody on planet Earth. Oh, there went our money market. There went all our wealth. The merchants, the distributors. The chapter goes on to talk about ships in the ocean waiting to dock, weeping over the destruction of the city. Now, throughout that chapter in Revelation chapter 18... It's like the Spirit of God will be speaking to people alive on planet Earth at that time. And the constant message that you see is, get out of Babylon. Get out of Babylon. And I think that would be a great message for us as Christians to get out of Babylon. Babylon represents this commercial system and wealth. And being all caught up in materialism and all of the stuff of this world. Spending your whole life on that. Spending your whole life on something that can be gone in an hour. We're told in Second Peter, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. If you're putting all of your eggs in the basket here, it's all gone one day. Come out of Babylon. Use the stuff God gives you to promote his kingdom, to do good work for him. Don't forget the most important part of life, your soul, the people you love, the friendships you have, the people in your life that still need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Revelation chapter 18, most every Bible scholar believes that the destruction of mystery Babylon happens very close to the end of the tribulation period because this is the thing that really ticks off the beast. 
And the Antichrist will grab all of the armies. And that will lead to the fourth war that I want to mention to you tonight, which is Armageddon. Now, how many of you have heard of this war? What do you think about this? It's not the Bruce Willis movie. It's not the name of a rock song. This is a prediction of the last war on planet Earth. Where everything comes to a head. Revelation chapter 16. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east may be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, out of the mouth of the beast and the mouth of the false prophet, Antichrist, the false prophet that's with him. They are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest his walk, lest he walk naked and see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew called what? Armageddon. Now, in Hebrew, it speaks of the plain of Megiddo. Megiddo is an actual city you can go visit. I've been there several times on our trips to Israel. It's in total ruins right now. But the valley right in in front of it that stretches all the way down uh, uh, south of Jerusalem and going all the way up north, that whole area, you can see it, and it can be, it's this valley of Megiddo. And some of the most horrific wars have been uh, waged there throughout history. Napoleon called it the perfect place for a battle. And once again, all the nations of the earth, here's the valley of Armageddon, goes right through Israel, right through the heart of Israel. An army of 200,000 kings from the east, thought to be China, different kings, all in alignment with the Antichrist. They come against God's people. And I believe the scripture specifically uh, seems to indicate that the Antichrist knows that Jesus is coming and actually thinks that he can beat him. And so he's aligning all of the Nations and all the military power of the earth with him in preparation for that day. Well, King Jesus arrives. And it says, just with the breath of his mouth, he destroys them. Revelation 19, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness He judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He has a name written that no one knew except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on his white horse. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. 
He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is coming again and will put an end to war. And will put an end to that last final conflict. That happens right here. At the return of Christ. Then Jesus reigns and rules for a thousand years on a literal throne in the city of Jerusalem, on the throne of David. And the world will experience 1,000 years of peace and prosperity. So you know when you're praying for peace to come to this world, what you're really praying for is for Jesus to come back. Because only when Jesus comes back will there be peace. So are we living in those last days? These wars, these rumors of wars, all that possible, and again, all of these things in place now that open up for these four specific wars. These things like we've just read could never have been uh, fulfilled before where we live now in this time of history. So time is running out. My brother and sister in Christ, time is running out. Serve Christ with everything you can now. And you be sure to be a light to every single person in your life. No more game playing. The stage is set. I do believe there's a lot of people yet to come into the kingdom. I believe there could be one great final revival. If the church just really gets out there and makes the Lord known. If you're here tonight and you haven't received Christ yet, do it now. If you're listening online and you haven't received Christ yet, do it now. Don't wait. The signs are in place. The story is told of a monastery in Portugal. It's perched high on a 3,000-foot cliff accessible only by a terrifying ride in a swaying basket. The basket is pulled with a single rope by several strong men perspiring under the strain of the fully loaded basket. Would you get in that basket? One American tourist who visited the site got nervous halfway up the cliff when he noticed that the rope was old and frayed. Hoping to relieve his fear, he asked, how often do you change the rope? And the monk in charge said, whenever it breaks. <laughs> it's a little late. The rope is old and frayed. And it's going to break. It's going to break. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're safe. You're safe. You're a member of his family. not, you need to give your life to him tonight. Would we close our services this evening with a time of prayer? Bow your heads with me.
Lord, as we close this service, again, our hearts, we cry out for peace in Israel, peace in Jerusalem, knowing that ultimately peace comes when you return. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel who desperately need your protection. We thank you for all the promises in your word, how you supernaturally have protected them in the past and will continue to do so. And we certainly look forward to that day when there's a revival in the land of Israel where they recognize you as Messiah. Lord, thank you for giving the signs that you do in your word. Lord, you give them to us not to scare us. You said, don't be troubled by these things. You've told us, don't be troubled by these things. Don't be filled with fear. Rather than hiding and being afraid, we want to live our lives in a strong faith. Depending upon you day by day. And Lord, we ask you to use us for your glory in this day and age. Use our church. Use churches worldwide. Lord, may we continue to be that salt on this earth that preserves, that stops the decay, that stops the evil. I pray that we'd be that salt, we'd be that light. Lord, we rejoice in salvation tonight, knowing that you have saved us now and forever. We thank you for your sacrifice at the cross. It makes it possible for our sins to be forgiven. Now, if you're here tonight and you've not yet received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want to give you an opportunity. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And rose again the third day. We're all sinners. We have to be forgiven. There's only one way to be forgiven and get right with God. And that is through faith in Jesus who died on the cross for you and rose again and is coming back one day. If you haven't received him yet, I'm just going to give you an opportunity. Just pray this prayer with me. It's not the words of the prayer. It's not a magic formula. It's your heart. Let God see your heart. Tell him you want him and need him. Ask for him to ask him to save you, change you, make you born again. So at the cry of your heart, say, Lord, save me. Lord, I desperately need you. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and rising again. Wash away all my sins. Make me brand new. Make me a member of your church, a child in your family, a citizen of your kingdom. Keep me in the safety and security of your kingdom. I 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.